Welcome to the Mind Takeaway podcast with your hosts, Mira and Peter. We celebrate what it is to be human in an age of technology, digitization, and information overload. In each episode, together with our guests, we go on a deep exploration of resilience, creativity, leadership, authenticity, passion, and intuition, while encouraging others to do the same. What underpins all of our conversations is human connectedness, collaboration, and community. In this episode, we speak to Chaba Tot, who is a British-Hungarian entrepreneur, researcher, and speaker based in the UK. He's the founder of ICQ Global, a people development organization with licensed partners in 35 countries. Chaba is the developer of the multi-award winning Global Disc Model and the best-selling author of the Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times hybrid book published with Marshall Goldsmith. Enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Mind Takeaway podcast. Today we are here with Chaba Tut. Uh, I'm not sure if I pronounced the last name correctly, so please uh, correct me. Uh, yeah, it's good? Almost correct. <laughs> Almost correct. <laughs> uh, so Chaba is a founder of ICQ Global and author of Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times. He also uh, works with leaders a lot, and, and that's one of the reasons here. he's here uh, with us today. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for having me. So, Chapa, what, what was really interesting uh, when, when we first uh, heard uh, the title of your book, and it was Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times. And, and you know, people talk a lot about common sense, and that's in, in what I see in that is the beliefs, the confirming beliefs and ideas that we already have. So I was really interested in uh, knowing more about what it means. So if you could tell us just briefly about what is the book about? Okay, so when we talk about cultural differences, most people visualize countries and different nationalities, maybe genders or generations. But there is much more to it. Of course, they're important, but there's much more to it. Because when we expect people to have common sense, technically asking them to come to the same conclusion as us, even though they have a completely different perspective, psychological needs and values, which is naive at its best, but selfish at its worst. So when we talk about cultural differences, there are clashes of common senses. And if that's how you approach this topic, then you can remove the illusion of separation, the illusion of superiority, and you can replace it with the power of synergy and curiosity. So the book is about this, because there are so many outdated and incomplete ideas in our field that Often people dismiss the topic thinking they don't need it if they are not global tycoons or international companies. And that's not exactly true mm. because more than 80% of cultural differences exist within countries, not between them. We all belong to 15 or 20 cultural groups at the same time. Country of origin is one of those. It's a tiny, tiny fraction of that. Mm. So even when we talk to someone in our own family, what are the chances that the other person belongs to the same 15 or 20 cultural groups? It's next to zero. So every single conversation is a cross-cultural dialogue, but most people don't know about it. So they are not actively looking for the solution that would unlock the potential within and between people. So the book is about building awareness, providing the tools, the strategies, the techniques, and all the resources to make it work. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, isn't it, uh, that we talk about 
diversity and inclusion, and then we we do all the good things with all the great intentions, and then because our own discomfort or our own ideas, we try to make people the same. As you said earlier, we just had a short conversation before we started recording. We we tend or or we feel more comfortable when people are conforming to the norms yeah. that are already there. And that's not the real thing, is it? I mean, this is part of it. It's called homophilic diversity, that we like and trust people who are like us inside, not on the outside. Mm. So often companies have the best intention and they use their own common sense when they talk about diversity. They want to increase it. But if you look at the research where they compare 17 different cultural groups in terms of practicality and range of differences, then the bottom three were country of origin, gender, and generation. Mm. And these are the ones that most companies focus on. And I'm not saying that the visible layer of diversity is not important. Of course it is, especially when we talk about you know, equal opportunities. Mm. Of course it's important. But if you look at performance, then there is only one layer of diversity that has proven benefit, and that is cognitive diversity. So I can show you case studies where it was a really colorful team, 10 people from eight different countries and three continents. On the surface, really diverse. It looks good on the website. Deep inside, the cognitive diversity index was 22%. They were pretty much identical inside. But it also makes sense. Why would you employ somebody who annoys you? It doesn't make sense. You have enough hassle in your life. So we are going to hire somebody, at least most people, who we can like and trust. And we often don't know that, oh, yeah, you remind me of myself. Um, and that's one of those reasons. Because you said it's comfortable. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, sorry, Peter, <laughs> just remember that one. Yeah, uh, just a few days ago, I spoke to somebody and we were talking about, you know, uh, uh, working with clients and... Uh, you know, you being comfortable with the people that you work with in order to give them best results. And we came to a, and I said, you know, I, I've, if I take the client to work on a really long period of time, so for example, six months and a year, uh, I need to like that person. And then, and then we actually came to a conclusion: I don't need to like everything that they do. And I, it's probably okay to be really uncomfortable with them because. Because I don't learn, there is no real connection over there. Nobody learns if we are the same, but I need to like who they are inside. And what I meant by inside was was who they are before their beliefs and the experiences that made them do some stuff that I maybe don't like. Does that make sense? Before they had beliefs. What no, do you mean by that? Uh, before um, who they like, who they are. So, for example, if you are, when you're feeling good, yeah, and uh, you you tend to do good stuff. When you're feeling stressed, this is your beliefs of self protection and your learned behavior of self protection kicks in, and then. You often do stuff that isn't so good. So if you're a manager, you might, you might be micromanaging. If you, uh, you know, I, what comes to my mind is uh, war or even physically harming people uh, when you are understand, uh, uh, under stress and uh, feeling that you need self-protection. So what comes before that? Mm-hmm. 
I think that's the real personality that comes out because mm-hmm. it's often much more reactive than learned because we revert back to our natural state and we just amplify it. And in survival mode, we don't have to be nice. We don't have to be inclusive. We have to be strong and we have to be quick, pretty much. So I think this is when we can see the real person because it's so easy to preach about fasting when we are full. But when we are hungry, then it gets difficult. And I think that's when we can see the real person because they don't have enough energy to keep up that image and the mask. And that's when we can see behind it, when we catch them off guard, when they're under stress. And that's the interesting part because you see things that so far they were just hiding. And I'm not saying that it's pleasant, but we can accept it. And when we talk about being comfortable, I think that's important to not dislike people, at least. That's definitely important. But when Mm. we are too comfortable, that's not good either. So I would rather focus on psychological safety. Mm -hmm. That's that's, and even according to Google, that's the number one trait of high-performing teams. So I'm not scared of making a mistake. I'm not scared of you mocking me if something happens. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm comfortable. Mm. If you think about the flow state, for example, that's 50% challenge and 50% support. So if we are too comfortable, we're not going to be in the flow state. We need that pressure. Evolution happens under stress. Oh, and yeah. I think the current climate is, is an ideal environment for that now in that way. I mean, to create psychological safety and truly have a high-performing team, as, as you've uncovered, it's a great spot. And I love where you're going with the book and what you know the work that you do because you have to have those real situations come up. And that's when you get to know people. But as a good leader or anyone that's got a duty of care over a set of individuals and you want to get the best results out of them, you also have to shepherd meaningful conversations to resolve that uncomfortable feeling, right? So you have to create the right conditions for people to come in and feel safe and therefore give and be happy and... Because, you know, we can't as leaders make people happy or motivate them, even though that's contrary to popular belief. But if we create those conditions where people feel like they're actually doing something meaningful, that's the diversity bit. And I want to rewind a bit. You talked about, um, which is really fascinating for me, that diversity isn't just about skin color, what country you're from. And I've worked for multinationals for most of my career before doing the coaching thing. And And I really agree with what you're saying there, can resonate with that because you can have people all from, for example, one city Mm. and they are completely diverse as a group because we all have our own different personalities. We've all had different parenting. You know, you throw all kinds of things in the mix. So it's really been mindful that it's not about going out and trying to find people from all corners of the planet, which it's cool in itself. It is a good thing. But the diversity piece yeah, I just wanted to rewind a bit and talk about that because I find that really fascinating that we're missing that in organizations so much that the diversity is all about making people feel safe and letting them come in and actually feel safe enough to bring their own take on things. And the problem is with companies, they're not comfortable with it, right? No. They don't want you to bring in your own personality and your creativity, even though they'll, they might mention it as a label or there might be some kind of call to action in the company handbook. So what, yeah. what do you say to organizations that are still uncomfortable? How do, you, how do you open that door to those kind of meaningful conversations? 
I think discomfort and fear comes from the lack of understanding. Because when people react differently to what we expect, then we become suspicious. And that's the opposite of trust, which is definitely not good for the business. So if you look at the definition of uncommon mindset, then that is the ability to see the same situation from different perspectives so we can make a better decision. And then we can choose to respond instead of just reacting. So it's about cognitive and behavior flexibility. But that's not based on good intention and common sense. You know, that's the whole point. But the more I understand myself and the more I understand other people, the more trust we can enable, the more synergy we can create, the less conflict we have. But here's the problem. We talk about cognitive diversity and psychological safety. Both of them look like a fluffy topic and it's not tangible. So it's really hard to visualize and measure them. And for example, this is exactly what we do. We can display it, we can put it on paper, we can print it out, and we can make this topic as tangible and objective as possible. Because it's all about the understanding. It's about breaking down the barriers within and between people. And like you said, the most important part is to facilitate the conversation. But how do you talk about something that you don't know about? 95% of our actions are driven by those values and beliefs we are not even aware of. And that's why, for example, Global Disc is the blueprint of why people think and behave differently. Because if you look at the blueprint of a house, you can see the, the structure, you can find everything. You don't see the color of the, the wall, you don't see the decoration, but more or less you understand it. So this one doesn't take away the uniqueness of people, but it helps a lot. Because once you give people the blueprint and they, they understand why they do what they do, mm then they're not going to change those psychological needs and values. They are pretty stable. But if they know what they have and what they need, then they can identify the behavior that they use to reflect those values and meet those needs. And if those behaviors or beliefs are not empowering, then they can change them. But otherwise, they cannot. Mm. It's really difficult to change behavior without understanding and updating the identity. It's pretty much like shouting at the screen to change the channel. Yeah, we can try it, but it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. There was a. I, I was trying to find the name of the of the psychiatrist or psychologist that was. Uh, I think he was he was living or a little bit before the time of Sigmund Freud, but for for whatever reason he wasn't. He didn't become famous. He was talking of uh, of uh, behavioral uh, psychother psychotherapy uh, is is actually being quite wrong and not really helping people because trying to change the behavior without actually understanding uh, why yeah. because every behavior is purposeful. And and just you know when you spoke about you know when people are under stress they behave in a certain way because that behavior has or have had the purpose for them in the past and it was some mm -hmm. kind of protection and uh, uh, and they will not stop doing it until they see that they don't need it anymore or they have a better option or I they mean, have a better these option. are the pretty much the saboteurs. And that's how we focus on that as well. Because when we talk about leadership, then, you know, there's so many clients who get passionate about learning techniques, how to manage other people. Said, so, no, 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 day one is about mm -hmm. you. Because I promise you don't know a lot, but it's not even your fault. So mm -hmm. let's try to manage the voices and those somatures in our head. And then we can lead other people on the outside, not the other way around. Yeah. And, you know, like we discussed in the beginning, being vulnerable, facing your own demons, that's uncomfortable. Nobody likes that. It's so much easier to focus on other people, criticizing them, because, you know, I've got common sense, you don't. So 
you have to learn. Yeah, that's a really good reminder that actually for leadership, it's about really getting uncomfortable for yourself and going on that self-exploration. And what what you talked about before, getting curious. Because, yeah, yeah, I've seen this many times. We can all read books. We can absorb so many techniques. And, you know, this stuff is useful and it's really exciting to learn it. But as we agree, what's not so exciting and what's really uncomfortable is exploring your own faults and your own demons and your own, you know, unconscious decisions that you throw into the mix that can actually cause a lot of damage. Mm. And then when you see it, it takes a lot of courage, right, to go, actually, I need to stop that. Mm. And then the second... Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah. No, no. No, I was just saying that not only do you need to be aware, that awareness is one step, but the second step to that as well as to actually take meaningful action and stop it from happening. Although, let's be honest, you can't stop it completely happening 100%. But it's that awareness that will save you from putting your foot in it, right? Yeah. But, you know, people don't do anything until it hurts enough. That's just human nature. So this is something called, at least I call it the intellectual hamster syndrome. That, you know, when you watch a hamster eating, then, you know, just put the food, 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 and the cheek looks like this. They never swallow. And this is what most people do. They, mm-hmm. You know, they just one more course, one more book. Because you cannot fail at gathering information. It gives you the kind of dopamine hit that, yeah, I'm making progress. Yeah, but you cannot fail. Mm-hmm. But when you have to apply those principles, when you have to practice, then it's pretty much guaranteed that it's going to be uncomfortable. It's pretty much guaranteed that you're going to feel awkward. That's why I just, you know what, one more course, just, just one more book. I, I'm going to be so ready after that. Well, <laughs> that's an intellectual hamster. Yeah. And because it, it, personal development doesn't feel good. It's yeah. like slapping the face, but it's fulfilling uh, yeah. and sustainable. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful metaphor. I'm really glad you mentioned it. <laughs> Yeah, it's just so visual, and this is what what, and and this I I think I I recently uh, uh, spoke about it as well. It was about you know we think that giving, and this is what most uh, uh, management and leadership development programs in companies look like. It's changing, but it's let's give them some more techniques to how to manage people. And and then we just go into more and more managing and micromanaging and everything if we don't reflect back and uh, look at ourselves first as leaders. Yeah, we're not going to get very far. No, but there's a challenge there. But mm-hmm. the challenge is that if something is too complicated, people are not going to use it. It doesn't matter how good it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, it's not about the tools. It's about creating the right mindset. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't do that, nothing is going to happen. It doesn't matter how good the tool is. They have to understand what is the benefit of doing this and using it. And what is the cost of ignoring it? Because often they have no idea. Mm. It's pretty much like that, um, you know, the Febreze case study. You know, when they discovered that it can neutralize the odor Mm. and it was amazing. And then they said, okay, who is the target market? People with dogs. So they went to houses with dogs and, you know, it was not smelling nice. So they asked the owner, wow, look what we have. Do you need it? And they said, oh, really? No. But what do you mean no? And, you know, it was really uncomfortable. And it turned out that there is something called uh, nose blind. The mm-hmm. people went nose blind. They got used to it so much. And that's exactly what we can see in companies. They are mind blind. They got used to the high staff turnover, conflict, people complaining. Mm-hmm. And they just accepted it as well. It's normal. 
Mm. Yeah, it's normal, but it shouldn't be normal. Mm. That's where all the potential is lost. When you put smart people in a team and they deliver a fraction of the results they are capable of, that's not good for the business. Because 90% of business is, is interaction between people who think can behave differently. So it doesn't matter if we grew up in the same village. Mm. We have different personality types because we have really different psychological needs and values. Just because we learned how to conform to the same norms, it doesn't mean that we have the same perspective. It doesn't mean that we understand each other at all. And that's the problem. Mm. And this is the missing link that if we have more than one person in a team, it's multicultural already, even if it's not international. And that's the key. No, it's just, just really seeing that and, uh, and nurturing it, isn't it? Yeah. And it's that awareness and then taking action. I want to go back to the mindset because it, it is vital. But what I've seen in many organizations is people are trying to be forced themselves or the organization tries to get their leaders into the right mindset. But the missing link on top of mindset is the right state of mind and clarity of mind. And that in itself is, seems to be missing as well because it, it's trying to change that state. And, and yes, I, I totally agree what you're saying because you've got to go on that exploration and be curious and you've got to have the courage in the first place to even realize that ex experientially for yourself before you can do any good, right? And that's the first step. But even when you're in that mindset, to be able to keep that going and make it lasting and to have, I don't want to use the word sustainable because I don't really like that word, but to regenerate and to do something different. Because let's be honest, when you talk about sustainability in companies, I'm like, oh, I get uncomfortable. It's like what you want to sustain the crap culture that you have. Not being horrible, but surely yeah. you want to regenerate the culture and make it better. So more inclusive, more, you know, make it more um, of a place where people can come in and do the best work. And that's all that's missing, right? But it's a big chunk yeah. of the piece of the jigsaw, really. Yes, I, I, I fully agree with you because I don't know where I read it that most people don't need therapy, they need clarity. Mm. And that's very important. So for example, with the clients who are really passionate about sustainability, but then you go to the office, you see plastic everywhere. I said, what do you mean by sustainability exactly? Because we have a big mission statement, but people have a different idea in their head. So that's confusing if it's not concrete enough. And, and that's, to me, that's the difficulty. How can you make it more tangible and concrete? For example, the Inc. magazine had a really interesting research. They asked uh, the employees about the top three priorities of the company. So it wasn't anything abstract. Just what top three priorities? And they expected 64% of the people to know that. The actual number was 2%. 2% of the employees knew the top three priorities. Can you imagine how much potential is lost there? It's almost like a firework, you know, so much energy, but all over the place. Mm. And maybe they have the best intention. But imagine if they had that clarity that you talk about, then just one idea could change everything. So if they don't have that clarity, how can they tap into that wealth of expertise and creativity and knowledge? It's, it's a waste of potential. Yeah, and I, I totally agree. I see that in many organizations and even the top ones. It's just that they have, as far as they're concerned, top down, a clear way forward. But if you were to cro you know, take any cross-section, any, any function, any department, it's very low in terms of what they see. There's the reality behind that, right? They don't connect the dots at yeah. all. 
So yeah. what, what if you hit, you know, we had some multinational listening to this and there's some decision makers, what could they do something tangible if they've just had that face plant moment and gone, wow, you know, it's innocent. We really want to, you know, do the right thing. But now we've heard from this survey that it's it's such a low percentage in terms of people being on the same page. What can we do? What's the first step? What's that tangible action that we can take forward now to change that? Well, I think first we have to face reality. And, you know, this is a research, but they can ask their managers, they can ask the employees just to check it. And it's very likely that they are going to have a very similar result. Mm. And I've done this with a German company, for example. The CEO was part of the training, plus 20-something people. And we were talking about the mission statement and the values. And I just copy-pasted it from the website. And before I revealed it, I just asked them about it. And there was only one person who knew that, and that was the CEO. Mm. And how he was so uncomfortable, but it was an enlightening moment. And it wasn't about criticizing them. It was just about making it clear that, that he's got amazing potential and incredible people there. But if they don't know what is the big picture, how can they contribute to it? Because maybe they have the best intention, they work hard, but slowly they are growing apart. Mm. They don't know, like you said, they don't connect the dots. They know that they have to make more money like next month. They know that they have to spend less. But what happens after that? And when we talk about clarity, then it's not about a mission statement. Because in the previous example, sustainability, yes, but what does it mean? Describe the behavior. Exactly. Does it mean that I don't use plastic? Does it mean that I look after people? So the staff turnover is lower because that's sustainable. What is it exactly? So I would focus on that because maybe it's going to be time-consuming, but in the long run, they can save a lot of time and hassle and money at the same time. Because often we are on the same page, yes, but we are reading different books. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, that's the biggest challenge. Yeah. I think that's vital for people to hear that. So what, what are you saying then, or what I'm hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like we need to put the brakes on and rewind a bit and say to the, you know, everyone in the company, look, we want to involve you and we need to be clear on which way we're going and we need to follow the same direction. So yeah. we need your input. And yet it takes a lot of courage to do that and time and it can be messy, right? Because it, it's an, oh my God, it's another project. But it sounds like it's a vital piece that's missing in many companies because if it's created by someone, it doesn't matter how clear it is, right? What you're saying is that you just can't, not only connect the dots, but you don't connect at a human level to that call to action. Because right? when people have ideas and they can, you know, often they don't want to be right, but at least they want to be heard. And that's really important because if you're able to do that, then the engagement goes up. And that's, that's really important because you get the buy-in. And it's not easy because often the companies advertise themselves as we look after people, we value them, we value innovation. And then you make a mistake because you try something and they slap you in the face. So, you know, the projected values are not aligned with the actual norms. And this is when people are in survival mode. You know, I, I do the bare minimum. I'm not going to risk anything. You can't do anything to me. If I do something, I just document it just in case. And, and how much time you lose that and passion. Mm. So everything starts on the top. That's the most important part. People can see you. We cannot fool them. Mm. So if, if we say something, we yeah. have to mean it and we have to back it up with, with actions as well. Just saying that I've got an open office policy and then nobody comes in, but there's a sign. Something is wrong. Yeah. 
It's it's really challenging to, uh, and I think I think lots of people, lots of companies, they see that that things need changing, but it's really that decision to act, to actually change something. And as you said, I think you said it on, on on the very beginning, is that people don't go to change something until they really have to. This is where the language is important because as soon as you talk about mm-hmm. change. It's a negative thing mm-hmm. because change implies that you're not good enough. And nobody wants that. You know, sometimes we use massive words like transformations. Oh my God, that sounds like hassle. So our approach is really different because on an individual and team level, we just show people that they are awesome already, but they have much more potential and we can help them unlock it by giving them the blueprint of why people think and behave differently. So you don't have to change. It's about upgrading, leveling up. It's you, an even better version, as a person, as a team, mm-hmm. as a company. And immediately, it doesn't sound that bad. Because sometimes when you say change, it is scary. But most people are not scared of change. They are scared of sudden change. And, and often, they try to deny the fact that the world is changing around them. So they try to protect the status quo. But then the gap is getting bigger and bigger until they break. So would it make more sense just to evolve every single day? Just a little bit more. Could you achieve much more with the same amount of energy? Because 60 to 80% mm. of all problems in a company stem from strained relationships between employees. 60 to 80, that's a lot of hassle. And the top three reasons are clash of values, clash of personalities, and poor leadership. And all three of them stem from the same source, the lack of understanding themselves and others. 60 to 80. I mean, imagine if you can just reduce it by wow. 10, 15, or 20 percent. Yeah. Imagine yes. the cost saving. So, so it sounds like what you do is, I mean, it is vital, you know, we're on the same page, but it sounds like what you do is just open the door to foster human connection because everything we talked about, right? It's that idea of separate self, separation. And that's all of the toxicity yeah. in these organizations and causing all of that wastage, right? So what you're doing is just opening dialogue. You're opening an understanding. You're giving them awareness and bringing in creativity and curiosity, yeah. right? So what you're doing is basically opening the floodgates for all the good stuff versus the misunderstandings. And like I said, the separation bit's really yeah, very common, exactly. right? I, I totally, totally agree. I mean, I'm not surprised. I mean, I didn't know those stats, but I'm not surprised it's 80%. Yeah, it's sure. difficult. And, and the problem is that at times of uncertainty, like now, people are craving certainty, which is, we know that it's an illusion. It doesn't exist, but we still crave it. So what can you do then? Where do you find that illusion of certainty? People are looking for labels. And the more labels you have, the more divided a group is. And that's difficult. And this is what we can see now. Even in the world, that everything is falling apart. So what can you rely on? Ooh, national identity. Let's just hug the Mm. flag and then this is who I am. And we are above everyone. We minimize the differences within the group, maximize it between them. And if you cannot trust yourself, you don't Mm. find that certainty there, then you have to find it somewhere else. But that's a really stressful state. Because you depend on other people, Mm. you depend on circumstances. So when we talk about this Mm. kind of safety, then it's about making it practical. Because if it sounds too complicated, then people freak out and they think, ah, we don't need that. I don't want that. 
But once you realize that the biggest distance between two people is misunderstanding, so there's no actual real problem. And they, you know, every time I ask people, I said, have you ever felt that you were talking to someone and they just had no common sense at all? They didn't get you? Yeah, 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 every day. So have you ever thought about the fact that they felt the same way about you, but for a different reason? No. So why not? I mean, that's the whole point. Mm-hmm. That's why cultural differences are clashes of common senses. So when we talk about diversity, it has the greatest potential for success or disaster. It depends on how much you understand yourself mm-hmm. and others. That's very important. Because when we have a disagreement, it can be productive. That's great. Tell me, why do you think that you're right? Because I'm sure you think you're right. So what can you see that I cannot? What do you know that I don't? Then we can talk and diversity can lead to innovation. But if the trust and safety is missing, then it's obvious that if I'm right, then it must be wrong. There's no other way. Plus, I have to save face. I have to save my ego and my position. So I'm going to destroy you. I prove that I'm right and you're not. And that's a problem. And this is what happens most of the time. So before aiming for diversity, I always say, no, aim for inclusion, psychological safety, and diversity is mm-hmm. going to increase as well. Don't do it the other way around. Mm. You're asking for trouble. Mm. And that's really important, yeah, mm. to, to hear that, that diversity is the sum total of those actions in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And, and as you say, diversity equals all of the good stuff, innovation, creativity, productivity results, because how can anyone really do the best work if they're not as you say, feeling like they're actually doing anything meaningful or even feel safe to come into work. And yeah, I find it such a shame that, you know, when you survey employees, they're like, yeah, I really don't want to be here, but I don't know, I haven't yeah. got any other option. It just makes me really sad because it, it's quite a simple thing in terms of financial investment to resolve, right? And, and look at how much companies, dare I say, waste on other yeah. projects. You know, even, even the whole, you know, the, 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 the leadership training that they always, or the development. Yeah, if they just stop and put the brakes on and, and concentrate on that bit and also probably bolster everyone's yeah. listening skills, you know, to be open to dialogue, to, to get as comfortable as they can and just keep creating these open forums where people can throw the hat in the ring and then people just get really comfortable with being uncomfortable, yeah. right? And then, but, you know, saying that you should be comfortable with being uncomfortable, it's like saying that go against nature. Because you know, our brain was designed to keep us safe, to keep us in the comfort zone. So it's not yeah. natural at all. But once we understand that that's real safety, the more we know, the more skills we have, the more we are, the more safety and more certainty we have, then it makes more sense. But it doesn't feel right. Uh, yeah, as, as if what comes to my mind is uh, Nicholas Taleb and in, in his mm. idea of anti-fragile. Uh, the more the the more you learn the more you test you the more you understand that you're actually saved the less fragile you are exactly Mm. and you know to people to people listening that i mean you you touched on it before you hit the nail on the head really that we never really know what's around the corner you know we live in unknown times it's it's our default state as a species but guess what we've survived so far so what's all that about you know the, the fact that we're still here having this conversation you know, as much as, you know, that we've caused a lot of problems, we are, we have evolved to be able to deal with this, but we just need to put the brakes on with all those advancements and start to learn what really has an impact, as you say, and just look at all of these things that we need to bring into organizations first, 
before we run off and try mm. and do all of the other things. Because you can't do them without the other, right? Mm. It's like... Building a house with no foundation. Exactly. Or maybe that's the missing part now, because if you think about the last 20, 30, 40 years, it was much easier than the previous 50 years. So, you know, we are not used to difficulties. We complain about things that there were nothing, you know, for our grandparents. Mm. And, you know, even if you just talk about wearing a mask or we don't, social distancing or not, and they just can't understand that, you know, we had Second World War. We had to go through hell. And you guys complain about these things. It's, it's unbelievable mm. that sometimes we focus on happiness and being comfortable so much that we become weaker. Because I think this is just like an urban legend that we can be in a plateau. No, you cannot. It's, it's the compound effect. You go down or up. And often we cannot even see it, but there's no plateau. It doesn't exist. If you're in the comfort zone, we are not using the skills, then we are losing them. Neuroscience proved it already. If you're not using something, it disappears. Muscle, the brain. Yeah, it atrophies, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I really rarely speak my own language now. And when I do, the language, my mother tongue, I, I can't remember words. Yeah. I have the same problem. It doesn't sound classy at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have that problem because I'm mono. But uh... You're mono. <laughs> Yeah, but going back to what you said, that's really vital for people to listen to because we have got really comfortable because we have it good. Yeah. I know that we all still have challenges and, you know, you could argue one person to the next, someone, you know, if you compare, that's the problem as well. Even comparing you to someone else, there's no like for like. Yeah. And if you go back to that diversity bit that, you know, you can have 100 people from the same village, but they are completely unique. And that's that missing link for companies is just treat them like an individual, amazing human being that's got massive potential if you're willing to foster it. Well, it takes energy. And I think, if, especially if you look at the Gallup research, that the bottom 5%, so the most disengaged layer of a company is middle management. Mm. I mean, they're the ones who lead 70% of the workforce. And again, this is not criticism. Because often that's the bottleneck of the company. Because sometimes the, the best employees are promoted to be a manager, a leader, which is a completely different job. It's really stressful. Just like a filter, you know, filtering the information and the hassle up and down. And what happens when the filter is clogged? Well, there's a problem. If you piss off your employees, they're not going to treat your customers right. And they need people skills the most. But they don't necessarily get the support because most of the training is for senior leadership. So by the time they're senior leaders, they have a massive baggage. Instead mm. of starting you know, in the middle management and giving them the tools to succeed. And that's important there. No, I totally agree that mm. that investment should be, I'd even hazard a guess even before they even get into a, even a, an, an initial middle management role. Yeah. I would even give that to all employees. You know, when I think back of all of the kind of training I had in organizations, it was actually too late for individuals in my team. I mean, I was always doing stuff outside of work and not asking permission, but that was just me. But a lot of my colleagues had never really stopped to reflect about this stuff. Yeah. But as we've just said, it, it was too late because they were already innocently bringing in their unconscious biases to everything they were doing. Mm -hmm. And they hadn't even stopped to even reflect because they were so stressed, so busy, as you say, trying to fight fires, you know, trying to shepherd all of that misinformation and trying to do a meaningful job and trying to keep the wheels from falling yeah. off when they'd already fell off kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. What I was going to ask you as well is that, I mean, we're coming 
kind of to the end of it, but for any, does anything stand out for you to share in terms of people listening? So, I mean, we covered a lot of ground, so thank you. I mean, we could go on for hours with this subject, you know, it's fascinating. But for anyone listening and, you know, maybe a little bit lost at sea right now, you know, a little bit stressed working in an organization, they could be a middle manager or even a CEO for that matter. Uh, if they're listening to this and it's sort of, started to strike a chord or resonate a bit. Is there any other part in wisdom you would say to these people? Wisdom is a big word, so I'm not sure I've got wisdom, <laughs> but I've got ideas and thoughts, definitely. Like, one of the, the most important questions is that, do you want to be right or you want the results? And, and that's just an interesting question immediately. Because if I look at people, then most of the opportunities, time and energy are lost for two reasons. One is friction with people who think and behave differently. And the other one is friction with ourselves, self-sabotage. So focusing on, on the root cause of these problems could save us so much hassle. And that's just about understanding why people think and behave differently. So it's not about changing. There's nothing wrong with us at all. But the right question is, can we be even better? Is there an even better way of doing things? So if that's how you phrase it, when you have a conflict, when you want to do something, then it becomes a much more friendly approach because it's not a binary option yes or no right or wrong but is there an even better way of doing things and that goes back to self-inclusion that we discussed in the very beginning mm -hmm. that if you're not comfortable with yourself you don't trust yourself you don't know who you are you don't know what you stand for then probably you have to bully a lot of people to feel important maybe you have to hide to feel safe but if you get that right then the stress level goes down Stress is not an illness. It's just when people react differently to what we expect, we are not getting the results. When the outside picture doesn't match what we have inside, then we get stressed. When we feel that we don't have enough resources to cope with the situation. So most people try to focus on the external world instead of focusing on the only three things that they can actually control, what they pay attention to, what meaning they attach to it, and what action they take. Not the outside world, inside. So our training is about this. That's why the mindset is so important. Get to know yourself. And I think the current situation highlighted this problem because how many people had to work at home, spending so much time alone or with their families? And it turned out they don't like themselves. They don't like their families that much. And, and, and you know, it's so easy to be distracted at work, talking to the colleagues, complaining about the boss, the clients. But when you have to manage yourself, Wow, that's a challenge. Motivate yourself. Hold yourself accountable. Yeah, sort out the issues in your family. How many people want to inspire millions and change the world while remaining the same? That's difficult. It's not going to happen. I mean, we have a lot to do around us. We are the best case studies. And to me, that's the most important part. Just be an example and, and lead by example. Because if you just go around and say, you should do this, 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 then people think, oh, no, thank you. But if they see that you're happy, you're confident, you're not stressing, and they ask you, so how did you do that? What's your secret? Then they listen. And I think that's the way forward. We are the best case studies. So let's focus on that. Perfect. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you very yeah. much for this. Because I, th I think you've said it all i don't need to say anything else really <laughs> but no but it's a lot to reflect on and yeah. i hope people find this useful because that's the starting point you have to go there yourself 
And you have to, that can only be the first step. And as we've talked about, it's the foundational piece to the jigsaw before you go off and try and change the world. And we all, I mean, I've done it innocently when we were younger. You do, you do it and you learn. But it's interesting how many people don't stop to breathe air and reflect and still keep doing the hamster wheel thing. Can I ask you, so if people are really excited about what they've heard and like I say, it resonates with them, where would be the best place to reach out to you and see, you know, the wonderful work that you're doing? I think the best option is LinkedIn. I'm always happy to connect with everyone who is interested in this topic. And the other thing is, is probably the book, The Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times, because it's not just a book. And, and not, I'm not just preaching about this topic, but I really want to invest in, in people and relationships. So the book comes with around 500 pounds worth of resources. It comes with the assessment and interactive coaching platform. They can become part of a community. They get a certificate at the end. It is a transformation. I mean, yes, we talked about transformation. That's a big word, but in a good <laughs> way, because just information is not going to lead to transformation. But when you get to know yourself, you challenge yourself step by step. And then also you can share your concerns and ideas and questions with people who are on the same path. That's a very different level. Otherwise, we just revert back to our natural habits and environment and nothing is going to change. We just say, yeah, that was such a good book. So what are you using now? Nothing. What changed? Nothing. So it's not a good book then. You know, you can read a comic book. We have to facilitate that learning and we have to facilitate the conversation. And that's the most important part. So when you learn the vocabulary, you learn about the blueprint, then you can talk about the root cause of the problem instead of just complaining about the symptoms. So you can actually change the channel instead of shouting at the screen. And that's the main goal. Yeah, I love that. Change the channel. Yeah. We'll put the link for the book, obviously. And thank you, thank you very much. This has been a really wonderful conversation. And I hope people really enjoy it. So, yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Mind Takeaway podcast. If you haven't already, please support us by pressing the subscribe button. Leave us a review and share it with your friends and your wider network. Thanks again for listening.